Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and welcome to the dog days of summer. My goodness, it is getting warm out there. This past weekend, I headed out to the ranch and uh, did a bunch of stuff, actually. I'll talk about that in a second, but man, it was warm. <laughs> it, uh, uh, I think it was Sunday. I drank like two quarts of water in a three-hour time period. And normally, like, I probably don't even drink one quart in a day. I don't drink a lot of water. Even when it's pretty hot, I I don't know. Like, I drink often, but I don't drink much. Uh, but Sunday, it was just, sweat was just pouring out of me. It was pretty insane. Uh, it's hot. It's going to keep being hot. I hope you guys got a whole lot of your uh, season prep stuff done already. If not, it's not going to get any better so you might as well just go ahead and get it done now because it's just hot and it's going to stay hot until basically until the season opens up so that's basically just what we have to look forward to now lots of hot but anyway like i mentioned i headed out to the ranch uh got a lot done uh did some work on both properties and uh yeah i replaced a whole lot of ratchet straps i had several that were Wearing pretty darn thin. Um, I had a stand on a big post oak. It's actually the stand I shot my first bucket out of this last season. And like I said, big post oak, real gnarly bark. And it had like literally shredded. Uh, actually, I posted a picture of it on my Instagram a week or two ago. Uh, it was my don't forget to change your straps post. And, uh, like the bark was, I mean, you could see the bark through the strap. So I took those off and on that particular tree, I actually put like a bigger, like, you know, full sized ratchet strap on that, you know, three inch strap as opposed to a little one inch strap, just to give it a little more, uh, more security and, uh, just made me feel better about sitting in it, having a bigger strap on there with all that rough bark. So that one, um, changed a bunch of straps on ladders, on stands, moved some stands around, didn't really move stands to like new locations per se but um i had a couple spots where like i had double stands you know back in the day when i thought i was going to be a movie star i had like my stand and a cameraman stand haven't had a cameraman come with me in like two years um and so took a bunch of those down so i can put them somewhere else uh and yeah guys i can't stress it enough like I, I say at least every other year, change your straps, um, but just check them. Uh, and a lot of times, even if I don't change them, I'll loosen them a little bit just to kind of, you know, let them stretch out. That tree is growing. It may not look like it, but I promise you that tree is growing. And so just kind of let your straps breathe. Um, there was one one strap I took off. It, it, was, it came off of a ladder. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I don't change the ones on the ladders quite as often as I do on the stands. This strap had probably been on there, I'm going to say, at least three years, maybe four. And, uh, like, I took the strap off, and you could actually, like, the strap, like, cracked as I bent it because it had just been in that form for so long. And so, yeah, big safety tip. 
do it for yourself, especially if you have like other people coming out, you know, buddies or family members. Um, that's kind of what, you know, made me do it this year is like my wife climbed into a couple of my stands last year that I hadn't done anything with cause like I wasn't planning on hunting them, but, uh, she went and hunted and it just like, I was just nervous the whole time cause I knew I hadn't changed the straps. So I just went ahead and like any of them that I didn't change last year, I put new straps on. And then, like I said, a lot of them, I just kind of went around, loosened them, loosened them up a little bit and then retightened them just kind of, you know, let that tree breathe and, and put it in a different spot and stuff. So, so yeah, that was a big thing I did. I got, uh, I think like five or six more trail cameras out. Um, another thing I put on Instagram that I was pretty excited about is, uh, I bought two of the cell link systems by spy point. And I, I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that I'd bought them. I actually went and put them out. Really cool guys. Um, it's a little bitty square box. You strap it above your camera. It's got an antenna on it and it has a SD card that's basically on a long wire. And so you, plug the SD card into your camera. The wire just kind of, you know, goes through the crack of the door. You close it. It has no problem closing. It's real thin wire. And then the wire runs up to the cell link deal. And basically when that camera is triggered, it goes onto the SD card, which is attached to the cell link, and sends a picture to the app that you have on your phone. Um, I actually got a picture of a deer on one of them like an hour after I hung the camera. So I was pretty amazed by that. The second one I have not got a picture from... And I'm pretty sure that I once again forgot, like, I turned the camera on, but I think I forgot to turn the cell link on. And so now I have to worry about two switches instead of just one. And so, like I said, I'm pretty sure the camera's on, but not the cell link. And so I'm going up there this weekend, so I'm going to run back there and check that one. But I know for a fact that the first one's working. And so, yeah, really cool. Um... They're normally, I think, $60. I've seen them several different places for $60. The reason I bought uh, two of them was because I found them on sale for $40, so I went ahead and grabbed two of them. I felt a little safer trying them out at that price point, uh, but I'm a big fan, really big fan. Another big advantage you get to these, I can't remember if I talked about this last time or not, but you actually get 100 free pictures per month. And so, uh, you know, like both these cameras, I just kind of put them on a trail. I'm probably not going to get 100 pictures in a month anyway, um, and so I don't have to pay for a sale plan. And then, you know, come October, November, if I want to, you know, if I want to move them to a feeder or a scrape or something like that, you can turn a sale plan on. Uh, I think it's like, I want to say it was $10 for maybe 2,000 pictures, something like that. It was pretty cheap. Um, and so, you know, I may pay for a plan for like maybe October, November, when I'm going to be using those cameras a lot. And then I can turn the plan back off, go back to my 100 free, set them back up on trails. And I think it's just a great value. And so if you're, especially like if you've never had a cell cam for, and you've always been a little intimidated by them, this is a great way to get into it. There's no, like you don't have to mess with a phone company or anything like that. You just follow the instructions, you turn it on and it sends pictures to your phone. So yeah, huge shout out to them. I'll keep you guys posted. Like I said, so far, so good. Um, the, I will say the image quality is not super great. Um, like I said, I've only got you know a few photos from that one deer. Um, but I don't need them to be that great. Like With this camera, I'm not trying to figure out necessarily like what a buck is. I just want to know if there's a buck there. You know, By the time, like the way I'm putting these cameras and the way I have other cameras around, like I'm going to know probably which deer it is. 
Um, I'm more using it to figure out where he is at. So anyway, long rant about that, but pretty excited about it. Um, another first, I am trying for the first time this year, rope scrapes. Um, rope scrapes have been around for a while. Um, the guy, I guess, that I kind of got the inspiration from would be Don Higgins. And uh, if you've never heard of Don Higgins, he's killed... I think he's up to like three 200-inch deer. Uh, his top five deer of all time average, like 204. Um, he's up in uh, Illinois. And uh, so, yeah, uh, just knowledgeable guy. And uh, I, I saw, I've saw i seen other people talk about rope scrapes, but just kind of the way he uh, explained it and uh, just the way he talked about it, it just, I don't know, it just seems like a really cool tool. Um, and so... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I hung one or two, like, close to stands, and then I hung a couple, I think I did, like, six total, um, and some others are just, like, some places that are easy for me to check a camera, you know, that I don't have to go super far into the woods, and so I'm kind of using them to try to maybe draw deer out a little bit so that I can get an inventory or, you know, figure out if they're in the area uh, without having to go, like, really far into the timber, and so that's kind of what I'm using them for. Uh, I guess I should explain for those of you who don't know what a rope scrape is. Um, Don said he likes to use three quarter to one inch nylon rope. Uh, I went to tractor supply and, uh, they did have a little piece of three quarter, but it wasn't enough. And so I actually bought, I think it was five eighths or maybe half inch nylon. And I was able to get a hundred foot roll for, I think $30. Um, and so basically I was, yeah, I would find a tree, you know, one that was kind of overhanging, almost like you would look for if you were going to make a mock scrape, but a little bit taller. You know, I was looking for a tree probably 10 feet off the ground, a limb that was hanging out, and uh, I'd cut a length of the rope. I would tie a knot in one end, about 8 inches from the end, and unravel that 8 to 10 inches, so that way it was, it was you know, a big frayed end. On the other end, I'd tie a knot at the end, and then I would either tie it to the limb or wire it in a fork, something like that. So basically, you have about a 10-foot, or well, by the time you do all that, it's going to be about an 8-foot length of rope hanging from a limb. Uh, I put the bottom about 2 feet off the ground. That's what Don recommended. And then underneath the rope, I just kind of used my foot or a little shovel and basically made a, a mock scrape just so just kind of cleared the grass out and i know it's it's probably a little early for that um deer will scrape you know year round a little bit not much but part of the reason i went i went ahead and did it is just kind of get that visual there and just kind of get the grass cleared so that way you know september or early october whenever i get out there and like scrapes really start opening up i can just kind of run up there real quick clean it out a little bit pee in it or put some sin in it something like that and get out of there and i don't have to sit there for a long time sweating with my shovel or anything so that's part of the reason i went ahead and made the scrape underneath it now um i don't know if it'll work yet i don't think i even set a camera up on uh there's one camera actually the cell link that i didn't turn on uh it is over one of these rope scrapes uh but for the most part i was just getting them ready so that like i said when season comes around all i have to do is go up there freshen them up a little bit set my camera and get out of there. So, so yeah, that was basically my weekend. Um, like I said, checked a lot of stands. Uh, I, I made notes at all my spots. So like, you know, at this stand, I made a note that I need a bow rope. You know, I don't have a rope there or that, uh, one of my feeders, I, I went around and I was testing all my feeders. One of them needs a new motor. So I need to pick up a motor, change that out. Um, I normally order those from West Texas feeder supply. I think they're out in Midland, Texas. 
Um, just a great source. They have a lot of stuff. I've never had any problems. They actually ship stuff pretty darn quick. Uh, I think a new motor is like 35 bucks, something like that. So not too terrible. Uh, last year, I don't know what happened last year, but I had to replace like, I think four or five motors. And so I don't know, maybe that's why I don't have to replace as many this year because I replaced them all last year. But I tried to be better about uh, like unplugging my batteries and stuff this year, so they're not not just sitting there running, you know, twice a day year round. But yeah, so uh, I feel like I got off kilter there. But uh, yeah, I checked all my spots out, made notes of anything I might be missing at all the different spots, and I, I wouldn't say I'm quite a hundred percent ready to go, but I'm like ninety, probably ninety percent ready to go this year, which is way ahead of where I normally am. Um, but last year, my brother and I just put a ton of work in, kind of getting setups ready to go and, uh, you know, feeder pins built and stands hung. And so I'm kind of getting to, to play off of some of that hard work from last year. So, so yeah, that was this last weekend, um, long rambling deal, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Like I said, I, I can't wait for this season to start to bring you guys along. Um, been doing a little, uh, duck scouting, uh, not that there's any ducks around, but just kind of, um, you know, we got that one new property has a little pond on it that I think is going to be a really good little duck hole, kind of right in the middle of all those ag fields, has some big oak trees kind of lining it. I can use for cover, overhead cover. And so I'm pretty excited to do some duck hunting there. Um, we got some other big, uh, just, you know, big farm ponds that it's kind of weird. Some, some years they hold ducks, some years they don't, um, Last year, I actually killed a couple geese off of one of them. Uh, I, I know nothing about goose hunting. A good buddy of mine came up, and I like I just noticed that these geese, for some reason, were coming to this pond every day. So we, we basically kind of deer hunted them. Like We just hugged the bank, and these geese came in. We actually both got one, so that was pretty cool. But I might try to do a little more you know hardcore goose hunting this year. Um, so yeah, so just getting ready. I can't wait. Uh, I know I talked about it last week, but like fall's getting close. And I'm very ready for it. So that's enough of that. That's enough of the intro. We are going to get into today's podcast, which is super random. So basically, I keep a note on my phone of all my podcast ideas and you know have them somewhat scheduled out a little bit. Um, but kind of down at the bottom of the list, I have a bunch of ideas that they're just not like there's not enough there for an entire, you know, 45 minute long podcast. So this week's episode is going to be a little bit all over the place, but I'm basically going to take all of those random ideas and talk about them on this podcast. So this is probably going to be several like five to ten minute long little segments, just like, again, like stuff that I want to address, but it's just not an entire podcast worth of information. So so that's what my plan is for today. I hope you guys are ready for it. I hope, it, uh, I hope, this, I hope you guys like this idea because I think it's... I don't know, like, again, there's a lot of these small topics that I think are important that, you know, there's just not too much to say about them. And so I'm really excited about this. I hope you guys are going to enjoy it, and we're going to dive right in right now. So the first topic I want to tackle, this one kind of comes from two places. I had a, a listener reach out to me a few weeks ago, and then one of my good buddies from high school also called me this last week and was asking about it. And That is summertime hog hunting. Uh, where do you find hogs in the summer? How do I hunt them during the summer? And to be honest, I don't do a lot of summertime hog hunting because it's just really hot, and I've just killed enough of them that... I don't, I just, yeah, I just, it's not worth the heat to me, but if you are a person who wants to get out there and kill some hogs, uh, nighttime is my number one answer. 
anytime during the night because it's just hot. Hogs know that. They're just like us. Actually, they're worse than us. Hogs do not sweat, and so they need water or something cool to stay warm because it's it's just really hot for them. So nighttime would be my number one answer. Um, anywhere around water, um, you know, if there's a low spot, a slough, uh, a creek, um, bottoms of draws where, you know, you get that kind of lush, veg- lush vegetation or maybe rainwater collects. Um, you got to find the water to find hogs in the summertime. If you're wanting to use a feeder or bait, uh, I would say back uh, or find, find a water source, whether that be a farm pond um, on our property or the property that I've been hunting. There's a big like 20 acre slough. And so I'll set up a feeder, you know, 150 yards or so. You don't want to get it too close because basically you want the water to be their security, their safe place where they can hang out and relax. And then you want to come off that water, like I said, 150 yards, 200 yards or so, and set your feeder up there. I do not like to use blinds uh, in the summertime because that blind is just going to act like an oven and heat up. And so I would rather sit out on a hay bale or you know maybe a ladder stand something like that just but something that's open i do not want to be enclosed when it's 100 degrees outside and i would also like hogs to me they seem a lot more active in the morning in the summertime like in the fall in the winter and stuff i'm i love hunting them in the evening but i think in the summertime like if you if you look at your 24-hour forecast on an average day Usually the coolest time of that entire day is going to be, you know, six, seven o'clock, like right as the sun's coming up. Uh, A lot of times it's even cooler then than it is at, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And so use that to your advantage. Um, The hogs are going to be moving early. Look for thick cover. Um, They're not going to want to move far. And like I said, like thick stuff around water is definitely going to be your best bet. Um, you know, if you have a public hunting area or something that follows a river or, you know, usually like, you know, if, if there's a public area around a public lake, obviously the lake is good, but then usually at the north end or whatever direction, you know, whatever body of water, river or creek is feeding that lake, uh, that's where I find a lot of hogs on public grounds, you know, like those tributaries that are feeding into it. Again, whether it be a river, a creek, just whatever body of water is feeding that lake, I tend to find a lot of hogs up there where it's not just that huge body of water. You know, they can get across it. They can get to both sides. They can lay in it. It's not, you know, they probably don't have to swim across it at all, but if they do, it's a short swim. Um, so, yeah, water, mornings, and uh, or obviously at night. Uh, those are my keys to finding hogs in the summer. Topic number two today, and this one also comes from a listener, and I, I got to apologize to this guy because he probably asked me about this two months ago, and I'm just now getting to it, so I apologize for that. But uh, this guy messaged me, and he's from out of state, but he's recently bought a piece of property in Oklahoma and plans to move here within the next year or so. And he was asking me about ticks and what I do to prevent them. And I got to say, I'm pretty lucky. We don't have a ton of ticks on the properties uh, that we own because we have cows and the cows keep the grass pretty short and that's one of the best ways to prevent ticks um you know just don't like ticks like big tall stuff so they jump on things you know jump on a cow or a deer or whatever 
Um, so we don't have a ton of ticks, but I do still take some preventative measures. And honestly, I take a lot more measures for chiggers. Not that chiggers are as dangerous to you, you know, like as dangerous to your health, but they are a whole lot more annoying. And so I take a lot more precautions for them than I do for the ticks. Um, but I do still have to do with ticks. I think I mentioned on here, I got two or three on me. Uh, a few months ago when I was doing some scouting through one of like my thicker areas that we don't let the cows go to. So um, for me, step number one is just powerful bug spray. Um, like the, you don't have to necessarily get that little tube of like 100% DEET, um, but get a high DEET bug spray. Um, my sister-in-law actually, we used it one time because it was the only thing we had, but for her kids, she tried to buy some like all natural DEET free bug spray and it did not work at all. We all got covered in chiggers. Uh, I think one of my nephews got a tick on them. And so I, I, if you're against chemicals, I'm sorry. But this is one case where just like I think the chemicals are the way to go. Um, I have never actually used it myself. But I know a lot of people swear by permethrin. And uh, it's basically, you know, you buy it, you put it on your clothes. And the neat thing about it is it stays on your clothes. And so read the instructions, obviously, but typically you apply it once. And I think it's usually good for like two to three washes. And so you don't have, it's something that you don't have to put on every single time. Um, it dries, you know, nice and clean. So if you're going to wear, you know, the same pants, like if you're hunting, you know, and you're going to wear the same camo pants for, you know, two or three days in a row, you don't have to spray it on every single time. And um, so, yeah, like permethrin, I would definitely suggest that. Um, but some good old-fashioned bug spray will do pretty good. Uh, the main spots I spray are at the bottom of my jeans and around my waistline, like at the top of my jeans and my shirt. And then usually I lift my shirt and spray the skin right at the top of my pants because that's where they're going to get in usually. And then if you know you're in a tick-filled area, another great thing to do is just that evening when you're getting ready to shower or getting undressed is give yourself a good tick check. You know, check things out. Use a mirror uh, and just look. Um, check your armpits, leg pits. You know, they like those kind of damp, shadowy areas. Um, so yeah, just give yourself a good once over and you're probably going to be okay. One last thing on ticks uh, that I just thought of as I was about to shut it down. If you know, maybe if you're listening to this out of state and you're thinking about coming to Oklahoma to hunt this fall or something, that's why you're listening to this podcast. Typically, by the time deer season comes around, ticks aren't super active. You know, they're not really out. Like, I don't know if I've ever gotten a tick in November. I'm sure somebody listening to this has, and they're going to message me. But, um, you know, early October, you might have to worry about it. If you're coming for like an opening day hunt, you might want to take some precautions. But usually by late October and definitely into November, you usually don't have to worry about it, um, at least the places I've hunted. And, you know, I've gone out on some pretty nasty, thick public land areas and never gotten any during deer season. So just wanted to throw that throw that out there. If you, you know, live somewhere where you don't have ticks and you're thinking about coming to Oklahoma, it's not like a big thing you have to worry about year-round. Um, and even in the summertime, like, don't let it stop you from coming, you know. You can take preventative measures. Um, just, you know, be smart and, uh, and check yourself out, and you should be just fine. The next thing on my list is a pretty quick one, but I just wanted to throw it out there, and I felt like this was a good time of the year to do it. Um, this one kind of just stems from Oklahoma not being the stereotypical like Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio, like the stereotypical Midwest whitetail states that most whitetail products are targeting. And this has to do with food plots. 
Um, you know, a lot of food plot companies are seeds and stuff. Um, you know, they have the big deer on the bag. And a lot of them are, are out of the Midwest in the first place or targeting people in the Midwest where they have that nice, rich soil. And uh, my, my big deal here is just like don't – basically don't listen to Midwest advice unless you're in the Midwest. And more specifically, and the way I'm you know referring to this with food plots is if you look at the bag or you listen to these advertisers and stuff, a lot of times they're telling you to get the seed in the ground like mid to late August. And we just have different weather down here and like, it's just not going to work, you know, up there they may, you know, like they're, you know, talking about cooler temperatures in August and fall and all that stuff. It's not fall down here in August. It's really hot and it's really dry. So do not be planting your fall food plots in August because I can almost guarantee you it's not going to work. Even if there's, you know, a random big summer thunderstorm coming through, you know, the third week of August and you're like, oh, I got rain, so I'm going to go ahead and plant. A lot of times that rain is not going to be followed up by another rain and it's going to get very hot and it's going to get very dry and you're just not going to get your bang for your buck. And, and the other thing that I feel like kind of, the reason that people push to get them in early is because they think, you know, they see that picture on the bag and you got a big velvet buck out there up to his, you know, stomach and green forage. But, you know, a lot of times those pictures are taken from a spring plot, not a fall plot. And that plant does not have to be two feet tall for that deer to enjoy it. You know, like a lot of times they enjoy the short, you know, three, four inch, super fresh, lush, lush, Ooh, that's a hard thing to say. Lush stuff more than they do the big, older, mature stuff. And so, you know, if if you if it's a cool year, you might get away with like mid September, late September. Um, I I usually try to shoot for like that last week in September. And I know you're doing the math, and you're thinking, well, we have an October one opener, but that's just that's just what the cards were dealt down here, guys. You know, I'm sorry, but. A lot of times you're just not going to get that growth. Like I said, if you know, maybe if you have you know a nice uh, weather front coming through, like the first or second week of September, you might be able to get away with it. But as far like you're going to have more success on that food plot for longer by waiting and planning it at the right time than trying to get it in and have it up by October 1st. That's kind of my point of all this. And so plan for success, plan for long-term success. And just remember that, you know, you got to take all advice, uh, especially with, you know, food plots or hunting in general, just, you got to apply it to where you are. So I just want to throw that out there now, um, as we're kind of getting into that food plot time of year and people are starting to plan and, and buy seed and everything. So just remember, you got to wait for the right conditions for your area. I already lost track of what number we're on. I think this is number four, but, uh, I had my feeder episode a few weeks ago and I had a lot of positive feedback from that one actually. Um, I was kind of prepared to have some, some negative Nancy's come in, but, uh, no, lots of good feedback. Um, so yeah, that was very encouraging, but, uh, you know, I was pretty bow archery focused on that one and I had a guy message me and basically asked like, what would I do different if you're just a rifle hunter, not a bow hunter and how would you set things up? And, uh, you know, there's not that much I would do differently, but you, you obviously have a lot more advantage if you're a rifle hunter, just because you're further off, you don't have to get as close. You don't have that scent. Um, but another big advantage is 
you can ha- you can hunt from multiple spots over the same feeder um and basically like you know based on your wind direction and so when i did a lot more rifle hunting back in the day you know i'd, I'd set my feeder up you know next to a creek or next to some woods or whatever and a lot of times I would have more than one stand in place to hunt that feeder. And so like back then I was using a lot of ladder stands and, you know, I'd have one ladder stand to the north and one ladder stand to the south. And then based on whatever the wind was doing that day, I would hunt the north one or the south one. So, you know, it's it's much easier to always be downwind. Um, and, you know, just you just need to keep in mind, you know, where your deer are coming from, obviously, you know, where they're bedded. Um, but yeah, just, you know, moving from 20 yards and being right next to the feeder back to a hundred yards or whatever, you know, whatever distance you're comfortable, it makes things so much easier. And so if you are just a rifle hunter, take advantage of that. Um, don't be afraid to set more than one stand. My uncle used to make fun of me for that. You know, he, he saw one of my setups one time and was like, how many stands you got? But you know, it is, it is what it is. And it did the job. It served the purpose. So don't be afraid to set multiple stands up for the one feeder, uh, and just hunt it wind appropriately. One big thing I would do differently if I was only going to rifle hunt, if, if that's the only you know time I got to hunt, uh, I think I would still run my feeder through bow season. Um, just because you want those deer, obviously the longer you run it, the more comfortable they're going to be. But, you know, if you have neighbors that are hunting, you know, most people in Oklahoma are hunting feeders or at least have feeders on their property. And so if you have a neighbor bow hunting a feeder and spreading that scent around a feeder and then you have your feeder you know a couple hundred yards away that does not have human scent around it those deer are going to choose yours over theirs and so you know you don't have to run it full full blast twice a day or anything like that but i think if it was me i would still have my feeder run through bow season even if it was just for a couple seconds in the evening or morning you know whatever you want to do uh i'd probably just run it once a day for a few seconds just to get those deer there and give them an, a, another option that is not your neighbors because if you're not running a feeder and your neighbor is for all of october well guess what those deer are probably going to go over there and eat that corn and so i think you would get a big advantage still running your feeder through bow season even though you're not hunting it and like i said like it's just going to make those deer more and more comfortable and then you know when october's over or you know get two or three weeks out from rifle season, then, you know, go in there, refill your feeder, set it to twice a day or bump up the time, whatever you want to do. And, you know, kind of get it ready for, for the rifle hunt. But, um, yeah, I think, like I said, I think I'd run it. Um, if you are going to bow hunt, I think I mentioned this during that feeder thing, but just kind of make this applicable to everyone. Uh, I like to start my feeders up about a month before bow season starts. Again, you know, they're shedding their velvet, they're moving to their new home range. They're looking for their little piece of, you know, seclusion. Um, and so I like to have my feeders running while they're making that transition. Um, one, you might just get a random buck who's passing through on, you know, while he's shifting. And actually that happened to me this year. It just popped in my head as I was talking. Uh, the buck that I have talked about with my muzzle loader that I wounded with my muzzle loader. I had one picture of that buck previously, um, and he like he went by one of my feeders one time in like the late first week of October or something like that. Um, and I think he was making his shift. He was further north, and he like when, where I shot him was I think a mile from that feeder, and he never was at that feeder again. So I think I just happened to pick him up as he was passing through. Um, so that's one reason. 
And, you know, as those bucks are, are transitioning and looking for their new home range, you might be able to just make that buck settle down right there and, you know, make that a part of his home range, especially maybe a younger deer. Um, you know, it's out there searching. Maybe it's their first time dispersing. And, you know, if you get them as a, as a two-year-old or a three-year-old, they might just keep coming back to that same spot. So it's not going to hurt anything. That's my big deal with feeders. It's not going to hurt anything to run them longer. Um, so, yeah, so that's my two cents on feeders. And I hope that was helpful for the rifle crowd out there. So number, I think this is number five. I think that's where we're at now. Uh, I would absolutely love to make an entire episode out of this topic. It's one that's near and dear to my heart, but I just don't know if there's 45 minutes worth of information on it. And that is dove hunting. Uh, dove hunting is really what got me into hunting. Uh, it's something my dad grew up doing and loved doing. It was huge where we grew up. My parents would let us skip opening day of dove season when we were younger um yeah it was just something like my brothers and i all enjoyed it it's a great way to take people out and get them like a fast pace you know action-packed type of hunting it's also just very easy to take new people who have never hunted before you know it's it's something that's fun a lot of action like i said um you know you get to teach them gun safety um and usually like i said if you got a good spot you get to do a lot of shooting so that's yeah i love dove hunting but like I said, it, there's not a whole lot to it, and that's part of what makes it nice and what makes it fun. Uh, but again, there's, I don't know if there's a whole podcast worth of information. So just want to give a few uh, dove hunting tips that I've learned over the years. Um, water is king, kind of like I was talking about with hogs. Water is king when it comes to dove. And if you have you know a water source in an ag field, then you're pretty much money. Um, Milo is a real big one for dove. Uh, I'd say that's one of the favorite foods for dove around, you know, our part of the country. Um, you know, wheat and corn and all that stuff can be good, but a lot of times it's, it's either not, you know, harvested yet, or it's been harvested a long time ago. Like, you know, a lot of places, places have already harvested their wheat. Um, so just by the time September 1st rolls around, it's dove hunting time. A lot of times there's not much there for a dove to eat. Um, kind of the same with corn. Uh, but Milo tends to be a really good food source for dove. Um, so yeah, hunting ponds is, is a really effective way to do it. Um, you know, you want some cover, but you don't have to have that much cover. I've killed a lot of dove standing next to, you know, a little sapling growing up in a fence row or something, or, or even just like in the corner of a fence, you know, where the H brace is, something like that. Um, yeah, it's great to do with buddies. You know, you can sit there and, and talk a little bit and usually it's not going to hurt you. Uh, I will say... I think dove are very easily uh, decoyed. Like, you know, there's tons of mojos, like motion decoys and stuff. Um, and they're super cheap. Like, I was actually looking at them at a sporting goods store not too long ago. I think you can get a mojo dove for like 30 or 40 bucks now. And so, you know, get you a mojo or two, um, you know, set it up next to a fence. You can clip some little cheap dove decoys on the fence, but I, I honestly, I don't even think those are needed. I think, you know, mojo and you're, and you're good to go. Um, but again, like you obviously don't even have to have a mojo, you know, just set up in a good spot. Uh, one other thing, like, don't be afraid to move if you're dove hunting, you know, a lot of times dove are going to kind of somewhat follow the same path. I don't know if they have, you know, markers in their mind or it's a homing beacon or something. Um, but, you know, if you're setting up and the dove just seem like they're flying 100 yards down the fence row, you know, if you have permission on that property, if it's still in your place, move that 100 yards um, or, you know, 50 yards, get a little closer or something like that. But uh, don't be afraid to pick up and move if you need to. 
Um, pay attention to your limit. Uh, you know, most places dove have like a 12 to 15 uh, bird limit. And so, you know, when you get up into those higher numbers, it can be easy to lose track. Uh, so really watch your count. Um, you don't want Mr. Game Warden to come up when you got extra dove. So, yeah, watch out for that. Um, but, yeah, like I said, like I, I, I would love to talk about these things for an hour. I just don't know if there's that much. Uh, I guess the last thing is just uh, make sure you bring plenty of shells. Like I said, they are a hard bird to, to shoot, which is part of what makes them so fun. They fly really fast, and the further into the season you go, usually the higher and faster they fly. So bring plenty of shells. Uh, another nice thing about Dove is like you don't need a big, powerful shotgun. You know, you don't have to shoot 12-gauge, 3.5-inch shells to kill a Dove. You can just use a target load. Uh, I know a lot of people who hunt with a 20-gauge when they're shooting for Dove because you, you it doesn't take that much to knock them down, and you're going to be doing a lot of shooting. So a lot of people like that softer kick uh, of the 20-gauge. Um, and, yeah, man, take a kid hunting. Like, I think I started Dove—I I started going with my dad when I was probably— five uh you know not hunting but just being with my dad and then you know like he'd let me bring my bb gun and i'd be throwing bbs out there in the air at him you know hoping to shoot one and and i probably started like hunting hunting i started carrying a 410 when i was probably like i'm gonna say eight um and so it's just a great sport for kids like i said just like i've been saying this whole time action-packed so absolutely love dove hunting um i haven't got to do as much of it the last couple years because i've been going after you know bigger more exciting things but uh my boss and i were actually just talking today about planning a trip uh this september so so yeah really looking forward to that and uh definitely get out there and kill some dove this year this next topic is pretty simple pretty sweet but um just get out there and practice with whatever you plan to hunt with this fall whether that be muzzleloader rifle bow crossbow traditional bow whatever it is get out there and practice with it um you know you owe it to the animals to make a good clean kill you owe it to yourself you know after you put in all this work all the effort of you know getting in on that animal uh you know all the scouting all the work all the hanging stands planting food plots the last thing you want to do is make a bad shot so you owe it to the animal you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your you know your fellow hunters you know, I remember seeing a picture of a deer with a, uh, I think it was a crossbow bolt sticking through its neck, just like walking around like everything was fine. And of course that, you know, picture just circled, circled the internet and it just makes all the, all of us hunters look bad and that's not what we want. So practice your skills and then also, you know, like do it now before the season, just because you want to make sure you're prepared, obviously, but you also need to make sure that your equipment is good to go before the season's here, you know. Maybe you need to, you know, have your bow worked on. Maybe you, you know, maybe you lost a screw on your scope ring. That actually happened to my wife this last year. Um, you know, maybe whatever, like, you know, maybe you got a bad box of ammo or something, uh, and you know, you're having misfires for some reason. Get all that stuff sorted out now. And and also you just you don't want to be the guy out there, you know, in the middle of November and you're sitting there, you know, blasting away with your rifle trying to get it sighted in for the next week, screwing your neighbors over who are over there, you know, trying to get some hunting in. So you don't want to be that guy. So uh, I know I've talked about this probably multiple times on the podcast, but it's just something near and dear to my heart and something I harp on, something I, you know, kind of beat myself up about is just being proficient with your weapon, being able to make the shot when you need to make the shot. And again, that goes for bow crossbow muzzleloader rifle whatever 
you need to be very familiar with your weapon and you need to be able to use it. So, like I said, not so much a topic, more of like a calling call. Just get out there and practice all summer long so that you're ready when this fall comes around. All right, at this point in the podcast, I'm going to try something a little new, something a little different. If you are a hardcore hunter and that's all you care about is hunting, you might just want to go ahead and turn this podcast off because we're going to change uh, change it up just a little bit. I can't help but talk just a little bit of college football. So, <laughs> again, sorry to all you hunting guys out there, but uh, I've becoming, I have been becoming uh, a big college football fan over the last couple of years, and uh, it's it's getting to the point to where, like before, part like honestly, part of the reason I was not as big of a college football fan was because I was always hunting. And, you know, I didn't have TV and everything like that. But, uh, you know, since we've, uh, since I was living so close to where I was hunting and, you know, my dad's got a house up there or my parents, I should say, not just my dad. Um, and, you know, he has direct TV and everything. So like I could hunt the morning, watch a little football, and then go back out for the evening hunt, come back in, watch a little more football. And, uh, so yeah, so I've been becoming a big college football fan. And one of the nice things about getting into college football kind of later in life is, like, I don't necessarily have, like, one team that I'm super hardcore for. Like, my good old Idaho Vandals, they're, they're actually no longer Division One because they were so bad. So I'm not, like, a huge Vandals fan. Uh, but, yeah, if I, I don't know. Some of you are probably going to hate me for this. Not a huge OU fan. Uh, I think I've mentioned before, you know, I had a, br- a brother that passed away, but he actually played for Oklahoma State. So, you know, if I had to choose between those two, go Pokes. Uh, but if I had to choose, like, overall, probably even more of you are going to hate me for this. But I'd probably have to say Texas A&M. Like I said, probably going to get a lot of hate for that. But uh, I have two sisters. My two younger sisters went to A&M, and I have a few cousins. So I've gone down there to games, and it's just a fun atmosphere. I really like it. I know a lot of people love to hate A&M, uh, but that's you know part of what makes it fun. But but honestly, like I just enjoy watching good football, and so that's part of the reason I love college. Like there's just they're still fun in it, you know, they're still there to play football, and uh, obviously a lot of them are trying to get to the NFL, but it's just not, it's just not as business-like, you know, you still get a lot of kids there just ready for fun, so, so yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been wanting to talk about college football in here just because I enjoy it, and I don't have that many people to talk to it about, so uh, yeah, I hope I'm not boring all of you, um, and then obviously, like, part of the reason I'm bringing this up now is because a big announcement just came out that good old UT and OU might be joining the SEC. And so, you know, my Aggies and uh, OU and Texas, like, they don't play each other right now. But if this goes through, uh, then they might be playing each other. So you might get the good old A&M Texas, you know, rivalry back in. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say Aggies and OU are super big rivals back in the day, but, uh, they could be now. And, you know, I think A&M's program has really risen since they joined the SEC. And so I think it's going to be a better match than it was back in the day. I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> I hope some of you don't hate me for that. Uh, but you know, I, I'm sure some of you out there do enjoy this, do enjoy college football. And I know we have people listening to this from other states. Like there's probably some uh, good old Ohio fans out there. Uh, not a big fan of Ohio State. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, you got to respect Alabama. Uh, 
love them or hate them, you got to respect what they do. So some of you will probably hate me for that. I'm really interested to see what OU does this year. You know, they got a lot of hype behind them. Some people are calling them the best in the nation. Um, they do have, you know, a, a really good quarterback. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm just excited for college football. You know, last year we were kind of let down with COVID and, and weird schedules and teams dropping out and missing games and all that. So I think this year is just going to be one for the books in the college football world. And then you also got the, you know, the college football playoffs changing up. And so this year, you know, you still got the old, uh, the old style and, you know, that's going to be winding down. So you got, you know, I think there's going to be something to say for teams who won it in this period in the four team playoff period. Um, so you got teams trying to, you know, leave their last mark on that. You got NIL this year, which is, you know, throwing all kinds of weird uh, monkey wrenches and things. Not necessarily changing programs, but I think it is going to change programs over time because, you know, kids might be able to make more money from endorsements at one school versus another. Even if that school's not as good, uh, they might be able to make more money. So you might have kids going to different schools because of that. So. Anyway, I just had to get that off my chest. I love college football. I'm sure some of you out there do. I'm going to try not to bring it up too often, um, but I'm going to be watching a lot of college football, so you know it may come up every once in a while. So That's all I have to say about that right now. Uh, I just want to throw it out there that I am a huge college football fan, so if you are too, you know, send me a message or something. We can talk about it on the side. And if you're listening to this and you are an OU fan, I just have one thing to say. You might want to watch out for that school from Iowa. Just throwing it out there. But, all right, that's enough college football talk. I think it's going to be a great season, like I said. Uh, a lot of good teams out there. A lot of excitement behind the season. And I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it almost as much as hunting. Like, hunting's still number one, for sure. But I'm also very excited about college football. So, all right, that's enough. That's all I'm going to talk about it. We're done. All right, guys and gals, that's going to do it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, new format that I tried out. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very helpful. Uh, you know, I just have I had a lot of these little small things that I just didn't know how to make an entire podcast out of, but I think they're important and I think they're helpful. And so this was kind of a cool way to to talk about a lot of things at once. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if you did. Uh, again, I love your feedback on Instagram, Facebook. Um, also, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that I have also have a email for this podcast. Um, if you you know have something more detailed or maybe a business inquiry or something like that, and you need to get a hold of me, you can reach me at OK, the letters OK, Outdoors Podcast at gmail.com. And that is outdoors with an S, plural, OK, Outdoors Podcast.com. I'm sorry, at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if I've ever announced that I have that email. So, there's that. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I really did. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And get ready, guys, because hunting season is coming. The fall is coming, and I can't wait for it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week. And until then, I will see you guys later.